You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers, and Gil is the host of Locked On NHL, and he also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. Busy guy. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's love for Green Bay football. Gil, um, we have a super fun interview coming up in just a couple minutes. First, let's hit on some news. Actually, give us a teaser. Who are we talking to later in this episode? Uh, we have a Packers Hall of Famer and a former Packers kicker from 1989 to 1996, Super Bowl 31 champion, Chris Jackie. That is going to be a blast. Um, actually, I mean, it, it was a blast. We already recorded it. It was super <laughs> fun talking to him. Uh, so, yeah, we got that coming up. Let's talk about some Packers news real quick. Uh, the big news that we have to get to today because you all are expecting us to talk about it. Debo Samuel uh, asked the Niners for a trade. Packers Twitter is convinced that we are trading for him. Um, I have heard from a bunch of fans on Twitter that it's already a done deal and we're trading like a second and a third round pick for Debo Samuel. Um, I'm highly skeptical. Gil, here's the question. For what you think the 49ers would ask in return from specifically the Packers, would you do a deal for Debo? Probably not based on what I've seen. Again, what you see on social media as proposed trades may not have anything to do with it. To me, the most I would give up for Debo Samuel is one of the first round picks from this year Maybe one of the second round picks from this year, but there's a caveat. Only if the Packers can negotiate an extension with Debo Samuel before the trade goes through. If you've got him extended and you know the terms that you're going to have him for for the next three, four, five years, I wouldn't go more than what we got back for Devontae Adams to get Debo Samuel. I think the 49ers might consider that deal. Just not from the Packers. I think that uh, they're sending him to an AFC team. That might be something they would consider. They're sending him to the Packers. It's only because the Packers are massively overpaying. I mean, I think if you were to put together a list of who do the Niners not want to send a superstar wide receiver to, you're going to start with probably the Rams since they just won the Super Bowl, then the Cardinals because they're a good team, then the Seahawks because they stink right now, and then it's the Green Bay Packers. I don't think there's any other team, and I think it's a steep drop-off from there. I don't know who the heck would be in the next place after that. Dallas, I think that maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe Dallas. I, I think that uh, in order to pry Debo away and send him to Green Bay, you're looking at Jair and a first or second round pick. I, I, I think that's what you're looking at price-wise. Uh, I'm, I'm just I not willing not to do, do that. that. I would no. not do that either. Uh, also, I don't think he's getting traded. I think he's going to stay in San Francisco. I think that they're going to pay him. I think they're going to quit making him play running back, and that's going to be the end of it. Uh, <laughs> Very possible. And I, I don't think the Packers are going to end up with him one, one way or the other. I, I think, like you said, the 49ers would be very reluctant to send him to Green Bay. And Brian Gutekunst is not going to be overly eager 
to spend all that draft capital, again, unless they can work out an extension with him in advance, uh, it would be foolhardy to make him a one-year rental and give up those premium picks or a premium oh, yeah. player. Precisely. All right, here is um, something much more interesting to me. few players talked to the media today. First, we got Pat O'Donnell, the new punter uh, from the Bears. Um, he's living in Mason Crosby's basement right now, I guess, while he's looking for a place <laughs> to live familiar refrain i think randall cobb lived in uh aaron Rodgers' basement uh for a lot of last year while he was looking for a place to live um so uh o'donnell his comments were pretty brief uh you know praised uh, rich Basaccia's reputation uh he said you know as, as a veteran special teams coach uh he thinks there's a lot he can learn from Basaccia to become a better uh player then we got randall cobb who talked a bit about Amari Rogers and said basically what Gil and I have been saying, which is dude lay off the kid It's year yeah. one. Devonte Adams took three years to become a decent player at all. Also Amari barely played. I think he had six targets last year or maybe it was six receptions. It was like eight targets for, for six receptions Four receptions. I think it was all right. Six targets, four receptions. And I think at least half of those were thrown by Jordan love. Yeah, not even Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, super truncated season. I know that uh, fans were very much underwhelmed with what they saw from him on special teams, but that wasn't even his gig in college. He was not a big special teams player. He was a a big offensive weapon. So, nice to hear that from Cobb. Nice to hear that he's taking Amari under his wing and uh, really trying to mentor him and and uh, help him tune out the outside noise. I know that that's a concern I have is all the negative fan attention on Amari affecting his confidence. You know, I I think uh, we certainly love the good people of green Bay, Wisconsin. They tend to be a little bit harsh on the players sometimes uh, while they are still in green Bay. Maybe once they retire, it's a little bit different, but while they're in green, green Bay, I think that fans tend to be a little bit harsh. And then Devondre Campbell is an interesting one. what do you think about this Gil? Uh, Devondre said that he told the Packers that he wanted to be a Mike linebacker and, and he didn't want to be used all over the place like he had at previous teams like the Cardinals. This is something you and I talked about when we first signed him after I calmed down about the fact that we were overpaying him. That was hilarious because it <laughs> turned out he was dirt cheap compared to how good he was. But I, I was freaking out that I thought we overpaid him at the time. But after that, we were talking about how. At previous stops, they had used him so much in coverage, um, treating him more like a safety a lot of the time, not really letting him just be a true Mike linebacker like he really wanted, and how we thought that there was really an opportunity for him to maybe get more out of his game than he had in in previous stops. Yeah, and it it turned out he was dead on, and he had the best season of his career. Uh, First Packers, middle linebacker slash inside linebacker to be named All-Pro since Ray Nitschke back in 1966 and really became a leader and the heart and soul of that defense. So uh, great to see. And, and, you know, those are the little things behind the scenes that fans are not always, uh, you know, getting access to, but they make a big difference. They really do. And it, it was great to see that it worked out as well as it did both for the Packers and for Devondre Campbell. All right. And, uh, and and one of the things that stood out to me so much is that he told the Packers this, that this is what he wanted. And this is what he thought would be best for his game. 
and they listened and went along with it. And I think that that feels very atypical of how the Packers have been doing business. Interesting change there, change in, in tone and, uh, and reaction, I think. What do you think? Yeah, it is an interesting tone, uh, change in tone, but the best part about it is because it worked so well, mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, you know a, a change in tone coming for the future. All right, final guy that uh, we heard from was Preston Smith, who had a fantastic quote. He was asked if he thought the Packers needed to draft some more edge rushers. So he kind of casually mentions that he owns 20-something guns. <laughs> he said legally. Not- legally. <laughs> legally, yeah. yeah. He said there's nothing wrong with owning so many weapons. You don't know when you're going to need them. It's a pretty good analogy there. You, you think about the uh, full cupboard of weapons that the Packers had on defense last year. And when I say cupboard, I'm referring to the freaking injured reserve just <laughs> stockpiled with dynamic players who then were finally unleashed uh, against the 49ers. And that was incredible. I mean, I don't know when we've seen a defensive performance like that, except for uh, when they played against Seattle and shut them out. So uh, th- that was a lot of fun. I think the Packers definitely do need to add an edge rusher. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks that you've got two starters, but you need more than that. You need three starters at edge rusher. And then you also need some depth. And I just don't know that they have a lot of depth. They got Jonathan Garvin, uh, uh, however you say his name, Tipa Nalia. I always call him Tipaglick. That's how his name is spelled. spelled. Right. And he's, you know, he doesn't play enough to hear his name said on TV very often. But I think he pronounces it Tipa Nalia. Yeah, you, you corrected me earlier during when he, when the change was announced. What was it, November or December? Uh, when, when when he corrected everybody. Yeah. So, hey, speaking of which, great opportunity for me to bring up one of my favorite talking points. Shamar Jean Charles. That's how he pronounces his name. I found yeah. it, found videos on his personal YouTube from when he was in college and he's doing like um, projects for his speech class. And he starts everyone up by saying, this is Shamar Jean Charles. So it's not John Charles. I know that the Packers media guide says that Packers media guy is wrong. The man himself says it's Gene. So I'm, I'm going with Gene. All right. Uh, so we're going to do our, our Chris Jackie interview. This is going to be super fun. We got to ask Chris, not only some questions about his time in green Bay, but also obviously we had a lot of questions for him about the current state of Packers special teams and his thoughts there and, and what can improve and what's going to be the key to better uh, special teams pr- performance and production in 22. So here we go. Chris Jackie. All right. We are here with Chris. Uh, man, super excited to have you on the show. This is a lot of fun. Get to talk to a former Packer. Uh, you wore number 13. I got to ask you real quick. Who wore 13 better? You or Alan Lazard? <laughs> <laughs> if you have to ask the question, you're not a Packer fan, my friend. <laughs> Hey, hey, we like Chester, Alan Lazard Chester over Marco here. Wore, but... Chester Marco wore it better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Chris, question for you. So um, have you considered unretiring and coming back to play for the Packers this season? Because <laughs> after the special teams disasters we had last year, right. I think some people would be excited about that. Uh, if they saw me kick, they probably wouldn't be that excited. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 you know, Mason, I thought he had an okay year. He didn't have a horrible year. He didn't have mm-hmm. a good year. He'd had an okay year. I think where the failings were, were, 
were the special teams, not not the kicker and the punter. Um, there was I don't know if, if it was just a lack of effort or coaching. Yeah, I think we're gonna find out quickly this year. You know, they got a whole, they brought in a new coach for special teams. Mm-hmm. Um, is it enough? Um, time will tell. I mean, there's just there were just so many breakdowns, and it happened all right. season. I'm surprised they waited till after the season to do something. It was. I mean, we as fans could see that's what was killing us during the season. Yep. <laughs> does does, does, does LaFleur not watch the same game tape we watch? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the question we were asking. I think right. after after the Chiefs game is when Gil and I finally had had enough. And we said, listen, make the special teams walk home from that right. game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was yeah brutal. I mean, it was bad from the get-go and it ended bad in the playoffs. So it was... But change is good. I've heard that. I've heard that phrase before. So hopefully, change will make a difference. And because that was the difference from us moving on, and we didn't defensively in the playoffs. We didn't let them score. Mm-hmm. You know, the offense is offense struggled a little bit, but still, <laughs> uh, just just too many too many failures on special teams in that playoff game. Yeah, talk about uh, so in your career. Um, Do you ever have any uh, seasons where there were just you know, obviously not to that magnitude, but, right. you know, things just weren't clicking all year on special teams. And and it, whether you got it corrected during the year or with the next season, you know, what kind of uh, overcoming right. process did you guys have? Uh, you know, it's, it's if we're comparing it to last season, it's, it, it's hard to find a year in which I played <laughs> that it was that bad. Um, I was fortunate. I always had, we always had good special teams, especially when Mike Holmgren came in and hired Nolan Cromwell as our special teams coach and Desmond Howard. And, um, I, what's going through my mind now is we had a lot of good leadership on that team. Guys that didn't play special teams that made sure the guys on special teams were putting forth the efforts as if they were starting on offense or defense. You know, Reggie White comes to mind, Leroy Butler and, you know, we had a lot of young guys. William Henderson played special teams, you know, for a couple of years there and, and played up and probably until he retired. And was he a 13, you know, 13 year veteran? Mm-hmm. Um, we just had guys that knew what it took to win and they were willing to do anything to do it. So, you know, looking back at my career, I don't remember. And again, I'm comparing it to last year and that's probably not fair, but I don't remember ever having a overall special teams it didn't matter if it was the field goal unit or the punt team or the kickoff every team. Phase. Or it was every phase of last year's team was just horrible. It was it was shades of the uh, 2010 Chargers. <laughs> Not familiar, but if they were bad, they were pretty bad then. The, uh, I, mean, I mean, how important is the the holder and the long snapper to your timing as as a kicker? Uh, extremely. I've always said I've got the easy job. You know, I, I can, all I do is kick. That's, that's the easy part. Um, you know, holding in, in, in inclement weather or wind or under pressure and just, you've got to have that, that, those three heads, the snapper, the holder and the kicker all in sync. Um, I know they changed about midway through the season and, you know, I gave, I gave Mason a game. It, it wasn't like the, you know, the, the snapper came in and hadn't never done it before. And we still had the same holder, I believe. Um, but that wasn't an excuse in my opinion, um, especially after the first game, because it doesn't take long. If, as long as they're good at what they do, it doesn't take long to get used to that, to that snap and, and hold. Um, so I, I think we're kind of fishing for excuses, but I, I'm just going to talk. It was just 
if you're going to be bad, get it all out of your system all at once. <laughs> so every phase was, was, was pretty bad. Again, I go back and Mason, you know, everybody wants his head on a platter and they forget just a year ago, he kicked a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah just well, and, and, and back in, back in 2018, I think mm-hmm. it was, he had, you know, a horrific day against the lions, missed a ton yeah. of kicks. Yeah. And so then, you know, the Packers, as they've done a few times, Brought in, uh, I think it was Sam Thicken that year, and had a kicking competition in training camp. Obviously designed to motivate and and you know push Mason forward, and right. obviously he ended up having a fantastic couple of seasons after that. Yep. Looks like they're doing that again this year, bringing in more kickers. Um, at, at what point, you know, do you look at some of the stuff that was going on with Mason's game, such as the kickoffs, where it seemed like maybe the ball didn't really have enough juice on it Uh and you're wondering you know is it a down year combined with the special teams overall being down or is are there any concerns about you know leg strength um i mean the games i watched i know he he can still kick it in the end zone for sure now was is he kicking him in the end zone as often as he was when he's younger uh, like everything else, as we get older, we don't do things as well <laughs> or, 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 or like we used to. Um, so what is he? This is going on his 13th or 14th year. Yeah. I mean, he's not a spring chicken, but I love his accuracy. I, I want Mason Crosby in on field goals when the game's on the line. I, you know, mm-hmm. personally, I could you can find someone to do kickoffs. I mean, obviously, it's an important phase of the game. And I know I got into conversations on social media. With a lot of people, we got to bring in a new kicker. I go, like, who are you going to bring in? They can kick in Lambeau. You're, you, you're, you, you have Super Bowl aspirations, and you're going to bring in some young kid off the street to replace a 12-year veteran that's done it before, and he's just missed a couple. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just – I, and, and maybe that's a tribute to Mason. He just makes us all feel like he's supposed to make every one, and he's not. He's, he, he's not a perfect human being, and like everybody else. And there were games – Aaron Rodgers had horrible games, and – we weren't calling for his head on the platter. I remember game one of the season yeah. <laughs> in particular. How, I don't remember anyone going, we need to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. So, and it turned out. Okay. Sure how, did. how tricky are the wins uh, at Lambeau when it gets to be November and December mm-hmm. and, and how important is knowing how to kick in that venue in particular for a Packers kicker? Um, I'll start with the latter. It's very important. Um, obviously, the stadium has changed quite a bit since I played. Uh, they've raised it up. Uh, I can only imagine it swirls more. Um, when I played, it, it was the same thing. It, it swirled. You, the wind would be coming out of the north, but on the field, it would feel like it was coming out of the south. So that and that just that goes to pregame uh, warmups. It go and just I know Craig Hendrick and I we used to go up and actually kick in Lambo during the week just to practice, just to be familiar with everything that was going on. Especially if there was going to be inclement weather that weekend. Um, so it's you know Mason's been around long enough. He probably knows if the wind's blowing this direction, it's actually going to be this direction on the field. Uh, flags on top of the goalpost help. Um, you, you always check that stuff out in pregame. So you know. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, so our punter last year, Corey Bajorquez, seemed to struggle a lot more toward the end of the season. And the Packers responded by bringing in longtime Bears punter Pat O'Donnell this year, who has a lot of kicking or a lot of experience, obviously, kicking at Soldier Field and at <clears throat> Lambeau. Right. Um, you know, do, do you think that uh, there you know, really is something to 
the uh, late season kicking being that different up in Green Bay? It, 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 I mean, it can drop substantially. Um, as it gets colder, obviously the ball gets harder. You're not going to kick them as far. Uh, the field conditions, whether it's Lambeau or if you're, we happen to be on the road in Chicago or, you know, 75% of the other teams around the league play probably, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon line. So the weather's not going to be great. Um, so, yeah, the weather plays a role. I, I thought the kid was doing pretty good, and I was kind of shocked that they got rid of him. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of his troubles – sorry about the dog, new puppy. Um, shush, shush. Hey, we're live. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of his troubles, I think, is maybe he was a little rush rushing his punts because mm-hmm. of his blocking. Um, if, if you don't know, if you if you don't have confidence in those guys blocking, you're, you think you're going to get your punt blocked every time. You're yeah. rushing, and that and that's that's never a good thing for a kicker when we rush. Yeah, definitely something we saw from J.K. Scott toward the end of his time in Green Bay too was just yeah. complete lack of confidence in the guys up front to keep them clean. And justifiably so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, hey, let's let's talk a bit about you. Um, Want to know, how did you find out that you were drafted by the Packers? What was your first reaction? Uh, I was in my dorm room. This is obviously way before cell phones. So I was sitting next to a rotary phone in my dorm. And there, there was speculation I could go. This was back when there was 12 rounds. I think they did six on the first day or five on the first day or, you know, whatever it was. But I was on the second day regardless. Um, and they thought I could go in the first round. Uh, they, my agent said that maybe the Raiders, I believe they were in Los Angeles at the time, or the Denver Broncos were mm-hmm. very interested in drafting me. Uh, and the first day went by, and I got a call from the Packers. Uh, who, who called me? I think it was – I'm trying to remember the special teams coach. William, uh, what the heck was his name? Howard Tippett was a special teams coach then. And he, he introduced himself again because we had met before and said, Lindy Infante wants to get on the phone with you and let you know that we're taking you in the sixth round. And I was excited. I think, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what round you're in. When, when, when you're a kid, you know, I don't know if kids get excited nowadays because it seems like they all know where they're going these days before they're even drafted. Um, but back then it was, you, you're not sure if you're going to get drafted, where you're going and are you going to make it into the NFL? And it was, you know, Green Bay wasn't on my radar per se, but I was excited. I didn't care. I just wanted to have an opportunity or and a chance to play in the NFL. And what a crazy journey then you had. What does it mean to be, you know, inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame now? And what, what are you the most proud of in your NFL career? Uh, most proud of just, you know, consistency, uh, obviously. Um, it, I don't know if the if pro, being proud is the right word, but the guys I played with and had the opportunity to play with and play against, uh, I think about back when I played, I mean, got, just on our team, Brett Favre and Reggie White and, you know, Keith Jackson and Sean Jones, Gilbert Brown, Leroy Butler, and then you look across the field at some of the some of the athletes you got to play against, a uh, Barry Sanders, or and I hate to I hate to bring him up, but all those guys down in Dallas, and mm, yeah, uh, you know, you just you there were you know <laughs> Steve Young out at the 49ers. I got to play against Joe Montana when he was with the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know so it's, cool. it's just you're 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 still in awe, regardless of how many years you're you're in awe of playing against those guys, and it was just it was just it was it was a fun time in my life. Um, 
Thank God it was before social media, because uh, a lot of it could have been recorded and used against me at a later date. <laughs> um, but just, just you know, having a great time in the group of guys that I played with, we just had fun playing. I think that's what made those guys so special, uh, the guys that won the Super Bowl in 97. Your rookie year in 1989 was like a roller coaster ride for the Packers. Four one-point yep. wins. <clears throat> I mean, you had a lot of pressure kicks right off the bat. Well, what was that season like for you? It was up and down, like you said. I, I had never had a game-winning kick prior to coming into the NFL. And I I don't think I even had a field goal attempt until the third game of the season. It was out, actually wow. out at the L.A. against the Rams. Um, but like you said, it, we were nicknamed the cardiac pack with all those come from behind wins and, you know, Mikowski and Sterling Sharp and Brian Noble. Again, another great group of guys that we played with and just came up short making the playoffs. I think we had to sit around on a Sunday night and hoping the Minnesota Vikings would lose because if they would have lost, we would have we gone into the playoffs. And, you know, you can never rely on a Viking to do anything right. <laughs> <laughs> Of course not. They're they're purple because they've been choking for fifty years. Absolutely, it is. But it was a, it was just a fantastic year. I couldn't have I couldn't have scripted a better rookie season. You brought no. up. Go ahead. Well, you brought up uh, Mikowski. He was electric in nineteen eighty nine. Right after that, kind of struggled to recapture some of that magic. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on, you know, his his path there? Oh, roommates with Don Bracken, who was the punter at the time, they kind of took me under their wing. And yeah, it was an era when, when you kind of you partied a little bit more probably than nowadays you do, or at least publicly because of social media. But we had a great time. All those guys, I mean, Chuck Cecil and Brian Noble and uh, what was his name? Timothy, Tim Harris was there. Mm-hmm. And we just we had that that nine that 89 team was very similar to the team. Not not on a skill level or, or a talent level, but just the way we got along is that '96 team. Mm. Uh, just a great group of guys, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of those guys got hurt. Sterling ended up getting hurt. He hurt his chest. He, he hurt his neck. Mikowski obviously, you know, threw out his shoulder, which led the way for Brett Favre to enter the scene. And um, it would have been interesting to see if that if that group, or at least maybe a Mikowski, could have stayed healthy and, and played under a Mike Holmgren system and see how he would have handled that or performed under that. But as I say, it wasn't meant to be, and number four stepped in. Yeah, what was what was your first impression of Brett Favre? Because you know the story goes that the uh, coach down in Atlanta was not fond of him and was happy to ship him off. Right, that's what I've heard too. Uh, again, <laughs> prefacing with, I was good friends with Don Mikowski. Uh-huh. Uh, I can remember I was in the weight room and during the off season. I think it was March. I think is when they brought Brett up to um, tour the facility or sign him or, or whatever. And I'm like. Uh, you know, a little competition for Don, you know, I kind of shrugged my shoulders at it. Cause like you said, no one had ever heard of him and they're right. just bringing in some guy and I didn't think much of him. I just introduced myself, say, you know, how you doing? And actually Brett was kind of quiet back then before he, you know, became the Brett we all know and love today. That's um, hard to imagine. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was in the Don Mikowski camp, even when they brought him in. As far as Sterling Sharp is concerned, do, do you think there's a good case that he belongs in the Hall of Fame or did the injury end his career a little too soon? <sighs> and and I, I, Short answer is yes, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I know there's other guys that have gotten in there that have played about the same amount of years. And you look, you look back at his stats, what he did. Um, 
it, it was it was nothing short of amazing. Uh, he had better stats than Jerry Rice in his first six or seven years, is, is my understanding. From if I've done a little research on him, and it's a shame he got hurt because I honestly think you would be going Jerry who, uh, and that's just how I feel. He was that he was so strong, so fast, knew the game, knew how to play the game, could anticipate the game. Um, and even his own brother said he's the second best athlete in the family next to Sterling. So um, I'm, I'm on the camp. He should be in there. Absolutely. Hmm. 1995, the Packers go to San Francisco in the playoffs, upset the 49ers, go to the NFC championship game for the first time since the ice bowl. Right. How important psychologically was that win for the confidence of the team going forward? Well, Every 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 win in the playoffs, especially because we, we, you know, when Mike Holmgren took over, we knew it wasn't going to happen overnight, and it was a progression. If you think about all those years and playing the Cowboys or playing the Forty ers they, they always had our number, and that that game was it was a huge boost, obviously. But then we had to go to play in the Cowboys Stadium, which seemed which it seemed like that's the only place we could play when the two of us played was down in Dallas, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but it was a huge stepping stone, and that leads in, you know, into the '96 season when we beat the, the 49ers on Monday Night Football. We kind of did the same thing. It was a huge thing during the season to beat those guys, get those guys in Lambeau and beat them on that Monday Night game. And fortunately, we didn't. We got home field advantage. We didn't have to play a Cowboys game <laughs> down in <laughs> Dallas. So, you know, it was a four. What was it? '92. Those guys came in. So it was a four-year process. You know, we knew it. I mean. It, Obviously, we would love to have won a Super Bowl in 93, the first year, the mm-hmm. 92. Um, but we knew that – I knew. I mean, most of us would say that's not feasible. It just takes time. Um, and even looking back on that Super Bowl team, there were only two guys held over from the Lindy Infante era, myself and Leroy Butler. Mm-hmm. So it took time. Mm-hmm. They had to get the right, the right pieces of the puzzle together, you know, from players to coaching staff. I mean, we had guys changing coaching staff as well. So it took time, and it paid off. What was what were things like under Holgrim, Holmgren when he first came in? Was it a drastic change right away? Uh, f- from a culture standpoint, yes. I, we moved all our games to Lambeau. We, 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 we stopped playing in, in Milwaukee. Um, he did other things. He, he formed a players' council, which, we, which had never been done. Uh, mm-hmm. they, him and Ron Wolf and Bob Harlan together cleaned house with the training staff and the medical staff. Um, so they were changing the entire culture, just not, just not the guys you saw on the field. Uh, but eventually most of the guys that were on that 89, 90, 91 team, they weren't there. So they were, you know, changing the culture. Uh, the first meeting we had, I mean, he said, our goal is to win a Super Bowl, not just to get the Super Bowl. So he was, you had to change the losing. I, the Packers had, I mean, other than the 89 season, I don't believe the 80s were that good. I don't believe the 70s were that good. So the culture was set in that we're going to lose. So that, and that's another reason, you know, it took four years to really overcome that losing culture. You talk about the culture. How much did the memories of the Lombardi era Packers affect the culture and the mentality of the fans and, and of the players during that era? 
Well, I mean, the fans always remember. The fans know more than the players. Let's let's put it that <laughs> way. I, I have more conversations with fans. They know more stories about me than I know about me. Um, <laughs> but that was part of the growing up when you came here to Green Bay to play. You met Jerry Kramer. You you, you met Dave Robinson. You met all you know, Lynn Dickey. You met all these guys that are such a, a huge part. Uh, of uh, Bart Starr. I, sh- I sh- definitely shouldn't leave him up. But you met all those guys, all the pillars of the teams of the 60s. And and they, I, we do several charity events with those guys through the years. And I swear, Jerry Kramer, he can he tells stories like he's watching it on TV, like it was yesterday. You know, I have trouble remembering what I did this morning. But it, you just you were just amazed at how clear they remember those 60s and talking about the championship years and what it meant to the town back then and what it would mean to the town again, if, if, or even the state, uh, if we brought the Lombardi trophy back to green Bay and, uh, we found out, I mean, it's, I mean, I run into people, I mean, again, I run into people now or still that again, have stories about me. I'm going, I didn't know I did that. I was like, <laughs> that's interesting. So, um, but yeah, that was all part of changing the culture. Um, they purposely would bring those guys in to talk to us and, and talk about what the winning, what it meant like on the field and what it meant to the fans. Well, you talk about uh, bringing in a Lombardi trophy home. What was it like to win a Super Bowl? What's it like, you know, on that big stage? <laughs> I tell you, I, it's, I'll give you a couple answers. I'll answer this. It's, it's such a relief when it's over because there's just so much hype. And I can't even imagine the hype that, that there is today because the media is so much larger but it, it was such a long week and, you know, dealing with media, dealing with families, you're almost excited that the game was over, obviously that you won. I mean, what I did is I, I, I kind of looked back cause I was one of, other than Leroy, one of the guys that was there when things weren't so great, you know, remembering some of those mm-hmm. guys, you know, wishing they could be here. Um, you know, just, you know, Brian Noble comes to mind and all the things that he went through, Chuck Cecil and Sterling Sharp. And you, you, you reminisce a little bit. You know, a, a lot of those players on the team that won the Super Bowl probably didn't reminisce in, in the way I did. You know, they probably reminisced. Well, Don Beebe, he probably reminisced about all the <laughs> losses he had in Buffalo. But you, you think of the, that's the things that were running through my mind that day when, when the final gun went off at the end of the game. We won a Super Bowl and how exciting, <clears throat> excuse me, how exciting it was going to be for the fans when we get back to Green Bay. And, you know, now we're a part of history. I'm only, you know, that was Super Bowl 31. There's only 30 other kickers that have ever won a Super Bowl or yeah. 15, I guess, not 30. Um, so it's, yeah, you, you, I mean, you're, you're just during the week, you're having a, you're having a good time. Don't get me wrong. Cause it was in <laughs> New Orleans, um, but you know, you deal with a lot um, and then you just, you play the game and once it gets started, it's, it's like any other game. And at the end of it, you, you're thankful you won, but you're thankful. My God, I'm, I'm glad this week is over. <laughs> well, hopefully the the uh, Packers players this year get to feel that same uh, same feeling of relief that Super Bowl week is over. I hope so. But the way it's been trending, I think the Cardinals are going to go this year, aren't they? Because isn't it in Arizona? <laughs> the last couple of years, it's been the last two years. It's been the home team. Yeah, After it never happened. Before, never happened. So. <laughs> what are the odds? Go Someone's figure. making money somewhere. 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 When when Brett Favre made that big comeback against Cincinnati in his first game, I, I've heard there was a little issue with the extra point, and you kicked the game-winning extra point. What what well, happened there? Well, we made it. Uh, uh, yes. Know, when Don went down that game, Brett was holding for me. Or no, I'm sorry, Don Mikowski was holding. 
And when Don got hurt, he was uh, he obviously couldn't play and he couldn't hold. So Brett was the backup quarterback and my backup holder. And Brett does not like to hold. And he just he there's pictures of it. You can probably Google it if you want Brett holding for Chris Jackie. And he lets go of the ball. He does a Lucy. And you know, luckily he didn't let go too quickly because the ball instantaneously stood there for a second. I kicked it through. So it was I was I was happy because when he became the starter, we found another I think God, who was on the roster back then? Was Mike Tomzak on the roster back then or something? Uh, in ninety one he was there. Yeah. So then my, I think Mike stepped up and then or whoever was the backup became the holder and there was Brett was no longer my holder. So I was probably as happy to see Brett not hold as everyone was to see him become the quarterback. <laughs> so <laughs> listen, Brett, you may be a great quarterback, but you stink as a holder. Get out of oh. here. Oh, believe me. I mean, he every time we in practice, he says, don't kick me. I go, Brett, I'm not going to kick you. <laughs> Maybe. But, says, if you don't put your hand in my way, I won't kick you. I mean, every time. Don't kick me, Chris. Okay, Brett. Gotcha. Would it have helped or hurt the 2021 Packers special teams unit to have Brett Favre holding out there? <laughs> hurt. God, you, you really don't want Mason around, do you? <laughs> hey, no, I, I, I love Mason. I, I want to see Mason stick around. I do too. I think he's fine. You know, he'll come back this year and probably hit 95% or something, yeah. you know. What, what made the great Reggie White such an effective leader? God, that's, that's a psychological question. He just, <laughs> people respected him. He, he demanded respect. He, he didn't talk down to you. Uh, he helped you when he could. It, it wasn't about Reggie. It was about helping the team and helping you. Um, and he, he became, you know, I always say as much as he did on the field and how good he was on the field, he became an ambassador for the green Bay Packers during those years. Um, he brought, he basically brought Keith Jackson to the team, Sean Jones to the team, you know, in that 96 season with Robert Brooks going down, you know, he kind of took Andre Risen under his wing and said, you know, we're here to win, not to do all the, you know, all the crap you did in Atlanta or whatever. So he just he demanded and commanded respect. I don't know how else to to say it, and and he did it in such a way that you didn't you know feel like he was in your face or anything like that because that wasn't Reggie's style. He would talk to you. It wasn't you know fingers in your face and you got to do this and that to help us win. It was you know what can I do to help you and you know and that and so forth. Well, Chris, we're gonna uh, let you get out of here in just a couple more questions. Sure. Want to wrap up with one here. Uh, 2022 Packers special teams. What's going to be the um, bigger contributing factor to success? Change in coaching or new players? Uh, I don't know if you, I don't think either of those are going to play a role. And, I, and this is my reason. It's going to okay. be the leadership on the team. I kind of alluded mm -hmm. to that when you talked about the special teams that I played for and the teams that I won with, with, you know, all the guys that I played with, but the guys have got to step up and be leader. They, they got to find a leader on that team, you know, for special mm -hmm. teams. Um, I don't think that's an Aaron Rodgers. I think, you know, oh, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> that's beneath him. Um, there's just got, there's got to be someone on that team that steps up and, and take and gets players excited to be on special teams. Because uh, hmm. a lot, you, not everyone starts. Not everyone starts on offense. Not everyone starts on right. defense. You have guys there specifically for special teams, and they're making good money. I mean, there's, <laughs> I know my my rookie salary was sixty six thousand. I think the rookie salary now what six hundred. So, 
you know, I'd pay 600 to play special teams and they just, <laughs> they've got to find that leadership, you know, will the coaching help maybe develop that leadership? Probably, hopefully. I think that's why they're bringing them in. Um, I don't know how much turnover we're actually going to have as far as new players. I don't mm-hmm. see that being a big factor. So it's got to come with from within. Someone's got to step up and just hold everyone accountable, kind of like we did on that 96 team. You know, Reggie yeah. would talk to everybody. It just wasn't talking to the defense or talking to the, the first team offense. He was talking to everybody. All right. So it really is the guys in the field. It All right. Really is. Talk to me about uh, player alumni resources and the opportunities that it gives fans to act to interact with the Packers alumni. Yeah, I started it, oh God, 2013. And it was a platform just for myself. When I went into the Hall of Fame, I, I started getting asked to do a lot of charity events or speaking events and getting paid to do it. And through the process, and I had, this was before Chris was on social media or had any kind of website to do it. So I started talking to the guys that you probably recognize that do a lot of that stuff, a William Henderson or a Gilbert Brown or Leroy. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really, Leroy I may, had a, may have had a website at the time. I don't know. But those guys, they did, there was no platform for people to sure. go to. So I said, you know, here's what I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of doing for me. But, you know, I have an idea. What if I did it for all you guys as well? And so I created a website, uh, a player alumni resources, and I talked to guys, you know, some guys didn't want to be on it. And I said, that's fine. If your mind changes, you know, you know, you can always come back. I I don't have contracts with the guys to be on the website. I encourage them to be on the website and do stuff on their own as well. Um, But talking to the guys, I find out what they like to do. Do they like to golf? Do they like to fish do they like to speak do they like do they just like to sign autographs you know whatever and they tell me what the, what their fees are so when a potential client emails me or submits a form through the website you know they, they give me a budget and i usually respond within a day or two which shocks a lot of people that i'm actually doing the responding and say you know here based on your budget based on what you want what your mm-hmm. event's going to be like golf fit you know whatever speaking you know here's four or five guys that fit within your budget um let me you prioritize them and then i i check on their availability and we go from there so it's a pretty simple process but it all started back in 2013 that is super cool so that's uh, playeralumniresources.com yep and uh obviously listeners Follow Chris Jackie on Twitter at Jackie underscore Chris. Follow him on Facebook as well. I've seen you uh, very active on there. Yeah, uh, I have a little fun there. <laughs> hey, we super appreciate you coming on the show. This is a blast. Yeah, I had a Thank good you. Time. Anytime. If you want to do this again during the season, I'd love to. We can talk about Mason, Mason having a great year. Hopefully. I, 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 I look forward to team. it. Let's plan on it. Plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Thank you. All right, big thanks to Chris for coming on the show, and uh, big thanks to Gil for convincing Chris to come on the show. Man, <laughs> big man on town, pulling out all the connections. Uh, okay, so let's talk about draft because um, I think you and I were talking. I think that we would like to try and get out one more episode in between now and draft day, but uh, you know the network has a say in that, and also our wives have a say in that. So um, <laughs> may or may not happen. So let's do a little bit of draft talk right now. Uh, so the Packers have two picks in the first round, two picks in the second round, uh, and then they don't have. I think I think it's the sixth round. They have no picks. So um, what? I, so I, I put together a big board based off of what two hundred and. Uh, 
20. Yeah, 221 players that I watched. Did you watch 221 players? Uh, no, a little bit less than that. Okay, all right. But but uh, but we, safe to say we found some players that we like, even though, you know, a lot of people are saying this is maybe not the greatest draft class in history. And I, I would tend to agree that the top-end talent maybe isn't there so much, but there's a lot of depth to this draft draft class. Um, at a lot of a lot of positions, I think corner and edge rusher are just super deep. And so even if you're saying, man, we just don't need any more corners, we got three. You know what? If if Richard Sherman was available in this draft, you know, and you're on the clock and Richard Sherman is sitting there, are you going, hey, we've got Jair and Stokes and um, Rasul Douglas. We don't need Richard Sherman. Or are you just going to take stinking Richard Sherman? All I'm saying is there's some good dudes in this draft class at edge and corner. I wouldn't be shocked if the Packers took a corner. You know, maybe you don't waste a first round pick on them. But this is the beauty of this draft class. It's so deep at some of these positions. I think you can get some pretty quality corners in some of the later rounds even. So um, so what I did, Gil, is I split up my draft board into tiers. Um, what did you think about this? Because part of why I did this was... I think this is how the Packers operate with their draft board. You know, when they traded up in 2020 for Jordan Love, one of the things that we kind of heard was that he was like the last player remaining out of their top tier of players. So I kind of divided my board up into this as well of like, all right, if if player 10 and player 11, you know, if you want to really quibble about who's the better prospect between those two spots, you know, how important is that? But I think if you got like seven or eight guys that you would say are the top echelon of talent, kind of take those in any order you want to before you start dipping into the next tier of talent. That's kind of how I view it. Yeah. And that, I think that's how a lot of teams do it. And, you know, it, it, it sometimes leads to some picks that people question, i.e. Mm-hmm. Jordan Love. Right. But there is a, an internal logic to it from the perspective of the general manager trying to maximize the talent of your team. You sort of add the team needs and how it impacts your team. But all of those things just get put into the equation and hopefully you come out with the right answer. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at this draft, I think that there is a pretty good argument to make for trying to trade up from 22 and get somewhere into the teens because I th- there are I think if you look at like the consensus um, mock drafts out there, there's a fantastic website, NFLMockDraftDatabase.com that uh, uh, aggregates all of the mock drafts and big boards from the um, CBS and PFF and the Draft Network and Bob McGinn and um, uh, all, all the names that you know. And they come up with an average of where these guys are taking. If you if you look at those, I, it seems to me that there is a pretty significant talent dip that starts right about pick 20. I think if you look at 1 through 19 and then 20 through 40, that to me seems to be a pretty pretty drastic difference. And, and it, I think that there's a pretty good argument to make that you want to move up from 25 and move down from 28 because I look at the players who are available at 28 and they don't seem to me to be a a great deal better prospects than the players available at 40. 
So if you could trade back and have multiple picks, I don't feel like the guys you're giving up around 28 are anything to be heartbroken over compared to the guys available at 40. Now, that's not using my big board. That's using the like consensus big board <laughs> of all the media. Uh, have you had any thoughts about, you know, trading around? Does it make sense to expect multiple trades from Gutekunst, who I think has traded around every single year except last year? Well, but but they even they traded up in the third round for Amari Rogers last year. Right. But they, but in the first round, he's made a trade every year except last year. Yeah, that's uh, true. During his tenure as GM. Look, I expect moves because uh, Gutekunst has never had more ammunition to mm-hmm. make trades than he's had than he has this year. And the team has never had, I think, as desperate a need for a particular position as they have this year with wide receiver. So mm. when you combine those two factors, I, I definitely think that there will be some kind of trade in the first round. I'd be shocked if the Packers finish the draft picking 22nd and 28th. Uh, but I think a lot of it also depends on where the runs fall at different positions. If there's a run on receiver in the early teens, 13, 14, 15, Goody may have to, you know, trade up to try to grab one of the top tier receivers before they're off the board. You know, if he can't wait till 22 Uh, edge rushers, not a very deep position, but there are some very good players available in the first round. Again, if he feels like he will miss out on, a guy he really wants to have when those players start coming off the board will be a big difference maker as to whether or not and how far he wants to trade up to try to get a particular player. And go ahead. Well, those are good points. I think um, edge rusher, I I feel it is kind of decently deep, but I'll tell you what's not very deep is uh, offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a, a handful of guys that I would expect to go in the first round and then maybe three tackles that are worth drafting after that kind of thin. And I, I actually, you know, a lot of people really, really like this wide receiver class. I like some individual players in this wide receiver class, but I don't think it's a very deep uh, wide receiver room. You know, I'm looking at I guess we could uh, have you put together you know, who you feel like your top wide receivers are in this draft? I I have not finalized it. I've started working on it. But here's the thing. When you, when you look at the depth at wide receiver in this draft, there are, I think, good receivers, role-playing receivers who can make a positive contribution who will probably go in, you know, the third and fourth round of this draft. But... If you're looking for a guy who you can project in a year or two to be your wide receiver one, there's a very limited uh, yeah. you know, group of guys who will fit that description. And let's face it, the Packers need a wide receiver one. They don't have one right now. You know what? I, I think that's a fantastic point. I think not only just who can be your wide receiver one, but also you know, the Packers need a big X receiver. I think there's a lot of guys that you look at like Chris Olave who are great players and will probably do really well in the, in the NFL. But I mean, come on, Chris Olave is, he's a Z receiver. 
he's going to be your MBS replacement. He's going to be a wide receiver too. Mm -hmm. Now, who knows? Maybe years from now we can look back at this and laugh because Chris Olave happens to be Devontae Adams. (laughs) I, I, I doubt that's the case. And again, I like Chris Olave, but I don't have him on my list of guys that I think can go be your wide receiver one and be your big X. So I, I do have my wide receiver ranking. I have. So here, here are the guys that I have is like guys worth taking in the first round. Uh, Drake London is my wide receiver one. Mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson is my wide receiver two. And then people are not going to like this. I have George Pickens as my wide receiver three. And then Traylon Burks as wide receiver four. And that is kind of the end for me of the first round guys who I think can be that big X wide receiver one. I do have Chris Olave with a first round grade on him. Uh, he's my 35th ranked player on my board. But, you know, just with the way that, you know, uh, the draft is going to go, I, I I think you could take him in the first round and not feel too bad about it. Right. And then after that, honestly, I, I really only have two other guys total in the draft who I think can go be a big X receiver. Neither of them have a first round grade for me. I got Alec Pierce would be the next guy. I'm skipping over Jamison Williams, um, even though he's the next on my board after Chris Olave, because to me, Jamison Williams is only a speedy deep threat. I don't think he's a polished route runner. I don't think he can... Uh, you know, be a wide receiver one. He, he's MVS, basically. Exactly. Uh, I, but I have Alec Pierce. I think he can fit that role. Uh, my next guy up is, again, he's not a wide receiver one. He's a wide receiver two, but this is Jahan Dotson. Mm-hmm. And then uh, John Mechie. Very similar player there to uh, Chris Olava. He's small, really good route runner. I think he's pretty limited physically. Next up, you got Calvin Austin, a guy I really like, but he's only five foot eight, yeah. 170 pounds. First of all, I don't think the Packers are drafting a guy that small. Also, nope. he's from Memphis, um, but very talented player. Next guy on my list, this is actually, I, I have him as a borderline third round prospect. It would be Christian Watson out of North Dakota. I'm not a Christian Watson fan. Th- this guy is MVS to a T for me. I think he's a yep. a better physical specimen, but he's MVS. I don't see anything in his tape that to me says that he is uh real talented. I think he's very physically gifted, but skilled and polished. He's not, uh, but physically he has the body to be that big X receiver. So he is the final guy that I have on my list there that you could put at wide receiver one. I just don't think that the people who are saying that he has the, uh, skills and talent from a craft standpoint and, and the ability to run routes and, and have soft hands and get open and stuff. I, I don't see it for him. Uh, I know that that's going to make a lot of listeners upset, but it is what it is. But, but like you say, so it's, you you really have to take a guy early. If you want one of those, I think top four guys, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, George Pickens, Traylon Burke. So those are my four guys that I think, you could at all justify taking at 22 um, to be your wide receiver one. The question Outside is, will that, any of them any... be on the board at 22? And I think the answer is probably not. 
I th- I think you you'll know within five picks, five or six or seven picks, if you need to, to be calling around trying to trade up. Yep, I, I think we'll know that pretty early on. the The hope uh, is that if teams are looking quarterback, that fills some of these spots and allows some more of the blue chip players to fall to the Packers if they do stick to twenty two. But it is painful trying to trying to come up with a scenario in which one of the first four guys falls all the way at 22. It's possible, but you know, and you look at a stupid team like the Eagles who take wide receivers every single year in the first round. I The Eagles are so, such a frustrating franchise right now. I, I think there's no question they're going to take a wide receiver this year unless they take a quarterback. It's quarterback or wide receiver, which I don't think are their, either of their top two needs. But I think that's what they're going to do because that's what they always do. <laughs> and, and and by the way, I just have to say, I got to touch on Jamison Williams again real quick because he just strikes me as the kind of guy that Gutekunst falls in love with. So the odds of us drafting him, I think, are pretty high just because he's such a Gutekunst player. Right. Listen. And if, what? why do you think he's a Gutekunst player? Let, I, I want to hear the, the analysis sure. behind that. So so here here's the one drawback well the two two drawbacks with him um he is pretty light 179 pounds mm-hmm. um and he has this acl injury but extremely athletic blazing fast he is a big guy at six foot two he's so much faster than any of the guys i i'm not i'm not sure who else maybe christian watson would be a guy that you would well uh, I think if you, if you want speed, you're looking at Jamison Williams in the first round, or you're looking all the way down to Tyquan Thornton in the third or fourth round. If you want speed, and the Packers did meet with Tyquan Thornton, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those two guys. If you want blazing speed, and Lafleur has been kind of frantically talking about how much he wants speed, so I, I just, to me, he kind of fits the vein of a lot of these guys we've taken, Jamon Moore. Uh, MVS, I'm trying to think of some of the other uh, EQ, you know, these big body wide receivers. And again, Jameson's a little bit on the slight side. He's not super thick. Um, I, one thing that scares me about Jameson, you know, he had to, he had to transfer away from Ohio state because Jackson Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave came along and, and stole his job. And yes, he went to Alabama and had a fantastic year. But it was all MVS type plays. It, it wasn't, you know, clean route running and getting open underneath. It was a lot of just trying to outrun defenders. And I just don't know how well that's going to pan out in the NFL because it doesn't seem to pan out for a lot of the guys in the draft who that's their game. Agreed. And and here's the thing. I think it is more important in the long run for the Packers to get that wide receiver one Mm-hmm. In the first round of the draft, or I mean, they could do it via trade also, but more realistically, you get them in the first round of the draft because then you have them under contract for five years at a fairly reasonable rate. Uh, the speed guy, you could you could double up. You could pick a, a one dimensional speed guy in the third, mm-hmm. fourth, fifth round. Like you can, right, exactly. You don't need the the wide receiver one to be the same guy as your speed guy. It would be great if it was, but I don't think it's a necessity. And it's more important in my mind. You could always add the speed guy, but it's more important to me 
to get that potential wide receiver one. All right, I'll tell you uh, my dream pairing for wide receiver for the Packers, and then we can wrap it up and get out of here. Unless, unless you want to pitch something you like. All good. For me, for me, it's George Pickens and Alec Pierce. Now, it's going to take a first round and a second round to get both of these guys. If Alec Pierce is even available at 53, which I have my doubts, I think he goes a lot earlier than that. But those two guys, look, Alec Pierce, I'm telling you, you can't watch Alec Pierce and not get reminded of Jordy Nelson. They mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. play so similarly. I really like the way that uh, Alec Pierce is so physical, um, really just muscles through, you know, piling up yards after the catch, A.J. Dillon style. He, may, he makes some great uh, catches and just finds a way to get open. Uh, and then pairing that with George Pickens, who is – and both of these guys are freak athletes. If you look at just RAS scores, these two dudes uh, are, are out of my uh, top few tiers of wide receiver. They're the most athletic is, is those two guys. And I hear the Christian Watson fans just fuming right now. But <laughs> I'm telling you, I think both these guys are more talented than, than Christian Watson. Um, but and I, the I think, age thing with Watson also is a factor. Yeah, he's 23. That you can't can't ignore that. Uh, George Pickens is 21. Alec Pierce is 22. So, uh, yeah, Watson has one more year on him. But but when you add the fact that he's not as polished a route runner, that he didn't play against as good a competition in college. You put those things together, and if he's 23 and he also needs maybe another year or two than some of those other guys to make the adjustment to the NFL, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, that starts to become a, a, a problem, I think. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. The other thing that you could do is you could take Traylon Burks, uh, who is a guy who you know, a lot of uh, draft experts – will knock on him and, and say that he struggles to get open and they think he's maybe not the greatest route runner. I'm just telling you it may, he may not be running these uh, flawless routes like Devonte does, but he's open. He gets open and you throw the ball at him. And all of a sudden he's just, he is bigger and taller. He manages to get a little bit of separation at the end there. He hauls the balls in. It's hard to tackle him to the ground, just like Drake London. Maybe you go Traylon Burks, and then you add um, a guy along the lines of a Sky Moore or Calvin Austin, who are really athletic, really fast, and can stretch the field the way Devonte does, or not Devante, MVS did. Uh, you know, and and that's a nice um, complementary pairing as well. So I would that like the Packers be. to take a couple of guys who complement each other well. A- absolutely. My only concern with that is. How does Aaron Rodgers respond to a guy who isn't where he expects him to be all the time? I could see that as a potential recipe for disaster. Or if Rodgers adjusts to it well, it could open up a whole new uh, you know, way of looking th- at things for Aaron Rodgers. But if you know, Rodgers has a history of being hesitant to throw to guys if he doesn't feel they're where he wants them to be. Uh, you, you get a guy who doesn't run precise routes. Will Rogers trust him? That, that becomes my big question there. Yeah. And we know Rogers is not going to be around for the entirety of the off season. He's already said he's going to be skipping all the voluntary stuff, which is unfortunate. I'd like to have him there working with the young guys, but, um, you know what? This is not complain about Rogers talk. This is Packers talk. So, uh, <laughs> so hopefully we'll come back, um, 
before the draft and have a chance to talk to you. Um, I am going to be doing a live stream uh, with the guys over at Packernet um, on day one of the draft. Uh, we're going to be doing a live breakdown of the whole first round. That's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you guys uh, stop in and say hi. Um, I'll have links to that, obviously, on my Twitter. Gil, you're going to be writing all week about all this stuff, as usual, uh, yeah. over at Cheesehead TV and the Packers Post. Uh, if you guys haven't checked out the Packers Post yet, I don't know if you know this, but that's Gil's personal website. He started this. Uh, it's his own project. Um, how's that doing over there? You get, get, uh, your, your content is still fantastic, as always. Are, are people checking you out yet? Yeah, people are people are checking it out. We're doing pretty well considering we've only been up and running for a few months now. And uh, right now, going position by position this week, uh, listing roughly five players at all the need positions that the Packers might be interested in and how they fit into the Packers' philosophy and roster specifically. So that's what I'm sort of concentrating on this week anyway. All right, Reed Gill at the Packers Post. Check out my other podcast, Cheese and Packers, over on uh, the Packer, Packernet Podcast Network. And uh, try the text, 231-714-4195. Send us emails at asknohuddle at gmail.com. That's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. So follow us on Twitter, at Gil Packers, at JJ Leahy. To stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions, make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com